Welcome to Alma, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinzer. All right, let's get something straight. There is nothing funny about water. Well, maybe that's a little much. There, there is a lot of fun to be had with water, and maybe we're having a little too much fun with it. No Adam Sandler in that clip I played earlier, having a good time with water. But water is one of the most precious resources on Earth. Try going a few hours without it. I'm kidding. Don't try that. Actually, go drink a cup of water right now, please. You're probably dehydrated. You know, we, we need water to live. Some of us live on water. Some of us play in water. Some of us work in water. And so water is a vital utility and one that we tend to take for granted. I mean, when I turned on the shower this morning, I didn't think twice. I knew it was coming out of the spout and the temperature to expect. It was nice and hot. And being a Californian, Living in sustained drought conditions, my consciousness about water is on the rise. But this is not an episode about California. It's an episode about humans and their relationship with water. Many scientists, researchers, geopolitical forecasters, and environmentalists have been issuing warnings for us for ages of the looming water crises. From droughts to wars to contamination and beyond. In this episode, I sit down with two water experts working in separate industries. The first is Ryan Pedrotti. He's a principal program specialist at Sonoma County Water Agency. He runs some pretty awesome public and educational programming all related to water. The second is my dear friend Tyler Judson. Tyler is part owner of Weeks Drilling and Pump Company. Weeks is a company that specializes in water well drilling, pump service, and repair water treatment for both public water systems and homeowners. While Ryan and Tyler have very different perspectives and different work as it relates to their interfacing with water, both of them have a deep level of expertise, respect, and understanding of the life source that is water. this conversation will be bouncing between Tyler's deep expertise as well as Ryan's deep expertise, both in distinct areas. We'll begin with an exploration of the threats to our water system because as a Californian who's been living in drought conditions, I really have not felt that impacted by them. So I wanted to understand the experts' opinions on the real threats to our water resources. We'll start with Ryan. Our core mission is to provide clean, reliable drinking water every single day. And that so you don't have to be thinking about whether or not you're going to have water that day or not. Um, so big scale threats, just recognizing the conditions that we live in. We live in California. It's a Mediterranean climate. It's also prone to droughts, meaning there may be years where we have a lot of rainfall, like two winters ago, where we have an overabundance of rainfall. Mm -hmm. And more of our concern is on the floods 
flood control side of things. Um, and then there are years like the years before that where we have extended periods of drought. And so, you know, previously I had talked about having a secure water portfolio. It's also, and this is what my team is responsible for, is providing behavioral changes to children and adults so that when they are using water at home, they can be more conscious of it. Mm -hmm. Because having a local population that is aware of water issues helps them um, helps our water supply last as long as it possibly can. And so just to give some some numerical context to this, <clears throat> 10 plus years ago, we would see our water supply, the amount of water that we would need to provide to our 600,000 customers, peak at 90 million gallons of water a day. Now, our summertime demands at our peaks are 60 to 65 million gallons of water a day. So, and that is out of the drought. It is dramatic. And as you know, the population has only grown in the North Bay, but the per capita water usage has continued to decline. And so what that means is when we're in these, and there's a number of reasons for this. It's, it's during drought times when people replace their lawns with low water use landscape, and then they're not replacing the lawns. Um, these are, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh, hardware changes that they've made, replacing mm. with low flow toilets low and shower heads, um, installing recycled water systems. That helps um, our water supply last, as you know, stretching that drop to it to as far as it can go. Mm -hmm. um, but those changes have really helped us um, have a more sustainable and secure water supply. So all those little actions that you're talking about yeah collectively add up to make a measurable difference for our water supply in our region. So again, Ryan's working for Sonoma County's Water Agency. So he's got a regional systems-wide perspective. Now we're going to pivot over to Tyler, who has been working on public and private water systems for years. He's going to help us understand more of the user experience from residential and business perspectives? Overall, I think the, the biggest threat and what things are working towards preventing is overdraft in certain areas. What's overdraft? Overdraft is kind of overpumping the, the aquifer supply. So mm -hmm. with overdraft comes subsidence. And subsidence is when that aquifer is then depleted, the weight of the soil and everything, the all of our buildings, infrastructure, actually can crush and start to uh, diminish the size of the aquifer and that that crushing then no longer allows water to recharge the aquifer in the same volume overall that it used to um, some of the biggest examples is uh, down in southern california and kind of the agriculture lands there's the san joaquin valley has some pretty infamous amazing photos of telephone poles marked with the year and year by year just literally 20 to 30 feet of elevation drop just based on the amount of overdraft and subsidence they've had in the area for agriculture. What can be done to recharge an aquifer so this doesn't happen? Once the subsidence has taken place, there's no real way to undo that. So that's that's the biggest concern in trying to limit subsidence and overdraft. Um, I mean, to recharge aquifers, the, obviously the best the best thing is mother, mother nature and, and uh, rain, which we've been fortunate enough to have some this year. But... Mm -hmm. Um, there's other, um, whether they call them settling ponds or injection wells, but, but mostly the biggest thing to help that is just conservation and management of the water supply itself. For like the small, what we call, what the state even calls de minimis user, someone in, in rural Sebastopol or anywhere in Sonoma County, it's, it's not necessarily a concern of 
exactly somebody having their own residential well and they're pumping way too much water and going to create uh, subsidence of, on their home or something like that. I suppose uh -huh. it's possible, but it's not, not very likely. The subsidence is more like general areas that lots and lots of wells and lots and lots of pumping and lots and lots of water use. So um, going back to your question of what do we do to help customers kind of manage their water use, I think the biggest thing I suggest to people is installing a water meter. Uh, a lot of people are opposed to that these days, but knowing how much water you're using is the first step. And, mm -hmm. and that way you have a baseline for what you do and, and how you can monitor and hopefully conserve. Before we move to solution, I want to take a little bit more time to understand this concerns locally and throughout the state. There are some major concerns with, you know, in a changing climate, um, with a secure, reliable water supply source. And mm -hmm. so we are, we are really lucky in our region to have a very secure, very reliable water supply source. There are other places just within our state that don't have that luxury. Right. Um, and so we get to really dive into some, we, we have very serious challenges that we're working to address, um, but it is, it is, it is on a, it's a, at a different place than, you know, like in, in third world countries that are, mm -hmm. that are challenging just to have safe drinking water on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, the other challenge that I didn't talk about earlier that I wanted to bring up is our, our water supply system is unique compared to other systems in that our water is stored in Lake Sonoma and Lake Mendocino. And we actually release that water into Dry Creek from Lake Sonoma and into the main stem of the Russian River with Lake Mendocino. So we're actually using the river and Dry Creek as a pipeline. Um, to give context to that, the city of uh, San Francisco's water supply is stored in Hetch Hetchy, mm -hmm. a reservoir just north of Yosemite, and it's sent in a pipe to the city, or just, or just south of the city, where it, it goes through a surface water treatment plant. Um, because we use the river as a pipeline, we have an invested interest in the endangered salmonids that live in the river system. And so one of the challenges that we're working with, and we have a very large environmental resources staff, biologists on staff, who are making sure that our operations are not detrimental to those endangered fish. So it just kind of continues. So that is a challenge, mm -hmm. but also an opportunity for us to provide a more holistic approach to our water supply system. So we're looking at the river as a pipeline. We're looking at it as habitat for endangered fish. Yeah. We're looking at it as recreation for folks who live in the lower river and, up, and really throughout the whole river system to recreate. So it's just continuing to build in that big picture um, lens that we look at our local water supply um, through. To begin to address some of these threats, these concerns, Tyler tells me some changes are on the way. The new regulations is called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and so that was kind of created in 2017. Um, that created areas called GSAs, or Groundwater Sust Sustainability Agencies, and it's, it's formulations of groups and these different groundwater basins throughout California. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to have these agencies help build a sustainability plan for groundwater in California. California and I think Texas are the only two states left that don't have some sort of sustainability plan for their water supply. So California is starting and getting on board, but it eventually is, is, is looking like a, a property tax that will be added to de minimis users out in the, the residential areas. Larger commercial like agriculture or... Um, municip municipalities, they will be paying based on the amount of water they're using, um, whereas 
folks in the country are actually just going to be a flat flat based tax added and and they're talking about currently anywhere from six to twelve dollars a year so it's not a a huge thing but but people are understandably scared of this is this is the beginning and what will change and what will go forward right you put a water meter on my well today what what comes tomorrow so when you look at california as a state um regarding water issues what's the elephant in the room i think it's regulation and usage like this this new sigma what i was talking about i think Uh is is going to change change the way people use water in the state i mean or at least think about it to to think for some of these municipalities or businesses that you might be charged based on the how many gallons you're pumping i think it's going to greatly inspire people to conserve and do what they can to use best practices of irrigation or just being mindful of how much water they're using mm-hmm. um it won't it won't really change anything for like i was saying folks out in the country what they call de minimis users they'll just be a flat flat base basically tax that they're looking at but i think hopefully these regulations although i'm not a, i'm undecided in my total feelings on them yeah i think the overall thing may be a good thing of helping people conserve and just being more mindful of the water they're using and as you're saying this i'm thinking about just how diverse california is in terms of the industries and everyone who's pulling on water so we've got uh people recreating we've got some great rivers to run here we've got the ag community who's you know we are the breadbasket of the states so how do we go about balancing all the various needs that we place on our water and our economy and avoid the tragedy of the commons. And I think that what we have really worked to do as as the steward of this water uh, resource is to bring those stakeholders to the table and have those big picture discussions, mm-hmm. um, knowing that during the drought years, we we reduce the flow of water from Lake Sonoma and Lake Mendocino to make sure that it lasts as long as possible. Uh, that can be frustrating for agricultural users. It can also be frustrating for recreators. And so having open dialogue about the changes that we're going to make um, are to the bigger picture benefit. And mm-hmm. and that is something that we have improved drastically as an organization over the 10 plus years is, is, have, is bringing those impacted stakeholders to the table so that we can have the discussions and understand the impacts of of making these subtle changes it's not an easy thing um but it is really important to to have those discussions it's we're also fairly lucky that um the environment that we live in is very conducive to those those big picture discussions so so for example you know our, our main agriculture in this area are vineyards and and wine production is actually a fairly low water um, use crop. And what's what's really a kind of beneficial from an agricultural user standpoint is there is interest in the agricultural community to be biodynamic or to be a salmon steward. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to work with agricultural users. Um, you know, speaking about Dry Creek, we are doing a major habitat enhancement project over six miles of dry creek so this is slowing water down creating backwater channels and doing bank stabilization projects in dry creek which is our pipeline but it's also habitat for these endangered fish so we are creating six miles of habitat for juvenile coho and steelhead and chinook salmon we have to work with 
private property landowners, 98% of Dry Creek is privately owned, um, working with private landowners to um, ensure that that we can have access to their property Mm -hmm. to do these projects, but they're seeing the benefit because they have stable banks, so they're not losing prime agricultural land to erosion, but they can also have their visitors come and enjoy a glass of wine and also see fish spawning in their yeah. in their backyard. So that you know, bringing stakeholders together allows those kind of multi-beneficial projects to come to fruition. So Ryan's providing services to all these diverse users of the water resources, but the relationship between Tyler and these stakeholders is a little bit different. They're his clients. Let's hear what he has to say about how we can go about avoiding the tragedy of the commons. As you said, there's so many different uses for water. Yeah. Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? I think everybody has their different opinion on whether that's land uses and my rights to water beneath me and exactly playing into the tragedy of the commons. I mean, it's it's a, it's a hard question to answer. Um, mm. There's everything from... I mean, ecological uses for the water of maintaining maintaining rivers and and endangered species and whatnot. And then there's everything from, as you said, industries like around here, from wine to cannabis that are using lots of water to grow product. And yeah. and then there's people that need water to live. So I, mean, I would probably put water to live as the top priority. Now that we've got context as to the true water issues, Let's learn more about the good work being done on water by Ryan and the Sonoma County Water Agency. So I'm lucky enough to work for Sonoma Water, formerly Sonoma County Water Agency, and we are the water supply wholesaler for the region. We provide water to nine different cities and water districts from Windsor down to Novato and out to Sonoma Valley. So one core function we have is wholesale water supply. We're also... Um, do flood control um, in over 75 miles of creeks and streams throughout um, Sonoma County. Most of Santa Rosa Creek, um, like Prince Memorial Greenway, is a flood control channel. It's a creek that we manage for vegetation and sediment removal. And then we also do sanitation services. Um, So we manage like the Sonoma Valley Wastewater Treatment Plant. So that is what the organization does as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so what my job is, I manage education and public outreach for Sonoma Water. And what we're trying to do for our department is to really be um, the public face of the organization and get out into um, classrooms and to do community events um, to try to teach the public, adults and children, how to um, interact with our natural resources. Um, so that's, that's kind of, the, in terms of really to dive into your question of mm-hmm. what are we trying to solve, we're trying to get kids and adults to be actively engaged in the community to understand natural resource management um, and, and to make informed decisions as they, as they move forward. To dive down even deeper, we're really trying to get into, this is a very local water supply system. Our drinking water comes from the Russian River. Mm-hmm. One of our core programs is to take students out to visit the river, which is the source of their drinking water, to develop a visceral connection to that river system um, and know that when they're at their house, which may be 30 or 40 miles away from their water supply source, that their choices at home impact their source water. Um, so it's, it's trying to, you know, there's so much great stuff happening in our local community um, about going local. Our water supply is as local as it gets. Right. Um, having secure funding lets us do a couple of things. One, 
it lets us be proactive with any maintenance projects that need to happen. So we can get out in front of um, any, any small or large issues that could interrupt that reliable water supply service that we have. It also lets us think big and long-term about solving some of these big issues that we have, like managing our reservoirs and how we manage our water supply in a changing climate. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of things that make us really different is just the structure of how we're set up and the responsibilities that we're tasked with. So we've touched on government, we've touched on private industry, some nonprofits doing good work. What, what is one thing that we as just individual citizens can do to improve our relationship with water? I think understanding where water comes from and, and all that goes into it. Um, I mean, whether that's at your own home, a lot of people don't out in the country don't really have an understanding of what a well is and how the water actually makes it up out of the ground and how the water's treated and, and almost take for granted what this resource is underneath them that they're using all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes for the same for, especially folks in the city to just open up your tap and have clean, safe, I mean, pretty much pristine water coming out at any given time, even when the power's out is a pretty thing that around the world that a lot of people don't have any idea what others go through for water. Yeah. Um, these facilities that these, these large treatment plants that the cities use, I mean, I'm a, a water nerd, so I, I tour them and my eyes get wide and uh -huh. <laughs> to think how many millions of gallons a day they're treating and what, what all goes into that of monitoring the water and making adjustments and the, the treatment techniques they use. I certainly have an appreciation for, city water granted i hate chlorine but i know it makes the water safe um but just i think trying to understand you know what what goes into water and what it what it takes to get to your tap um understanding it's a a communal resource the tragedy of the commons as you said we're, we're all relying on the same amount of water that was here at the beginning of time um, granted it's gone through a few cycles but it's something we should all be mindful of conserving um saying just just because you can't do a lot doesn't mean you shouldn't do a little i mean that's everything from conserving of turning off the faucet when you're brushing your teeth to not letting the water run in the shower for heating up too long while you're while you're getting ready to take a shower i mean um, conservation in my mind is i think the biggest thing people can do of just be mindful of you don't you don't have to go overboard here but i think everybody just being mindful of the water you use i think is a great first step and this is exactly what Ryan and his colleagues at Sonoma Water are up to by educating youth and adults about this vital community resource. I'm an educator and, and my colleagues um, that do outreach with us, we're trained educators. And what we get to educate about is the environment. And then when you dive it down even deeper, it's about water mm -hmm. and, and how essential water is because it's one of those things that we do take for granted as a society. And it's not that we need to portray it as something that we're going to run out of um, in, you know, tomorrow, but to understand that we all, this is a shared resource and that our collective decisions impact um, our water supply. And so California has now adopted the next generation science standards. And for us as an environmental education program, it's really what we have been teaching all along mm -hmm. um, is this inquiry based approach. Um, but now what's happened is schools are 
craving opportunities to dive into inquiry-based teaching. And so over the past couple years, we've really refined our program, um, moving away from the traditional form of of really environmental education, the traditional form was, we call it sage on stage. Yeah. I am the content expert, let me guide you on this exploration. So that's the traditional method. And what we're moving towards now is, let the kids be the guide. We have a structure of what we want to teach yeah. them, but let them ask questions and then provide them guidance on how they're able to answer these questions themselves. And it's just amazing to watch, you know, talking about students who don't have a lot of environmental education experience, go through a riverbank and identify invertebrates and and to see that this water is warmer than it should be and what might be some reasons for this and then impacts of water temperature. It's, it's really a, a very fun process yeah, so um, like to, to be involved with. Uh, do, do any of these classrooms engage you for longer term, like project-based experiences? Yeah, good question. One of the one of the challenges with a program like ours is the one-touch approach. Basically, what that means is we go in and see these students for an hour, and then we leave. Right. And so we have a number of different programs. We, we with our field programs, we we attempt to get into the classroom a week before the field trip, pre-teach information. <laughs> and then um, have them go through the field trip experience. Mm -hmm. um, we're working, we have done grant funded programs in the past. It was called um, Headwaters to Ocean, which is a watershed approach. Basically three field trips throughout the year, three classroom visits throughout the year. So we mm -hmm. had, you know, in a year with this classroom, six or seven um, touches basically, where we're able to get in and, and really dive deeper into the content. Um, we, so the trade-off with that is the more students with, you know, this really awesome experience or fewer students with a more deeper approach. Right. So that balance is one of the challenges that our program has. So what we're developing um, in that multi-touch approach is, is an Adopt-A-Creek program. And so this is something that, uh, like, Friends of the Petaluma River and others in the area, Straw, which is another environmental education group, are really good at having. So we're kind of modeling our program on on existing programs, but basically to take schools that are adjacent to local creeks and, and give them some framework on some water quality testing that they can do, mm -hmm. and then those students can go with their teacher, they don't need us, um, to go out and uh, conduct water quality tests in their local creek throughout the year so that they can see um, how the water quality changes in that body of water. And what we can provide them is the equipment um, or some structure on how to conduct these tests yeah. and what what you know, pH level, acidity, um, how that might impact wildlife that's there. Um, and, and also what's great is then when these students start to develop this connection to their local creek, they're more likely to go on a, a trash cleanup that their school sponsors and mm -hmm. things like that, which mm -hmm. is which is really fun. So, yeah, that's what we've done with a longer term approach. Okay. So I know uh, the, the classroom and field mm -hmm. trip education is one program that <clears throat> yes. you lead, and the other one is the youth employment. Yeah. Can you speak a bit to that? Yeah, so – um, the other thing that I manage at Sonoma Water is the Sonoma County Youth Ecology Corps. And so mm -hmm. this is a program that's exi existed now for 10 years. Um, my, some folks that I work with, Mike Thompson, uh, Assistant General Manager here, and Karen Fees at Health and Human Services, really had this great idea, this was during the economic recession, to um, provide employment for at-risk youth. And so um, 10 years ago when the program started, we had over 250 youth involved in the program. Um, now it's down to about 50 youth that are involved in the program on a given year. But how the program is set up is 
um, Human Services Department and Sonoma Water contract with local youth providers mm -hmm. like SAY or the Center for Social and Environmental Stewardship, which I can talk about later. I'm, uh, another hat I wear is, is, as a board member for, this, for the Center for Social and Environmental Stewardship. Um, but so the youth agencies are employ these youth and, and how Sonoma Water is involved is we hire them, um, usually crews of six to eight, 16 to 24 year olds to work in our stream maintenance channels for the summer. And so this is an eight week program um, where these youth are able to go out and do some very essential vegetation removal for us. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're removing non-native species and replanting with native species. And so this is very labor intensive work. Um, but the reason this program is so essential is we're combining it with environmental education. That's how I got involved with yeah. this is, is during the summer we provide education lessons for these youth who are doing the work so they know why their work is so important. Um, and it's also how this program is developed is this, this, the second iteration of it is what's called the Career Pathways Program. And so that's where Sonoma Water and a number of other county departments, um, like General Services with Fleet Maintenance and uh, Regional Parks, are able to provide a six-month internship for these youth. So basically, if you look at this pipeline, mm -hmm. you can be a 16, 17, 18-year-old who gets to work with um, a youth crew over the summer doing stream maintenance. And then if you're able to continue on through the Career Pathways program, um, which is the, the um, youth provider of record for that program is Conservation Corps North Bay, um, is so, so you get to work, do your vegetation removal, and then you get an opportunity to potentially intern with um, a number of different departments, either at Sonoma Water um, or at General Services or at Regional Parks. We're hoping to expand the partners. But what's, what's really cool is, is as a as a former young adult, which is sadly farther away than I'd like to say, you don't. I didn't really know what kind of job opportunities were out there, and so um, there are a lot of folks in our in in the public utilities and in the public sector. The silver tsunami is a real thing, and a lot of these folks um, are essential public servants that are retiring. Yeah, and. A lot of those jobs don't necessarily require a college degree, but they might require some specialized training, either through programs at the junior college or another trade school. And so just providing these youth with an exposure, um, the, the positions that we, we talk a lot about are operators with our, our water and wastewater side. Um, these are great jobs that require getting licensed as a certified um, water or wastewater operator in California. And so just providing that opportunity for exposure um, can help set a young person into a career path that they didn't know existed. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. Was this program modeled after mm -hmm. another county's, or is this something that's yeah, native? yeah, yeah? So it's it's been kind of a an amalgamation of different programs. Um, we work with another local nonprofit, New Ways to Work, which is which is a West County nonprofit, and they've worked modeling youth employment programs um, all across the United States. New York City has a pretty robust program. Um, and and that was like a city-sponsored program and so the one that we have really added or, or the program that's really helped model this is that there are other programs that we work with around the state there's one in riverside where the county is actually the employer of record and so it's a it's it's it is fairly unique in basically leveraging public dollars to provide um job opportunities for these youth and what's mm -hmm. great for us is you know we're, we're getting um, 
essential stream maintenance work done, we're also helping to train our next generation of, right. of workforce. So depending on kind of the um, partnerships that are available basically between the public sector and nonprofits to make this work, um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to a youth employment program like this, but we've we've helped make it work given our circumstances. You know, one of the challenges with the education system in general is funneling everyone to the college approach. But knowing that there are lots of really essential jobs that are out there that don't require that four-year degree. And, and where you can be working outside or working with your hands or working on a very specific skill like welding and plumbing um, and, and things like that and electrical work. Um, that are really essential um, and, and that are good paying jobs right. and, and that are out there. And so um, on our website, we have lots of, we have a list of all of the specifications for our jobs. Um, and if you're a high school or college teacher out there, we would be more than happy to come in and talk to your students about careers in the water industry. And what's that mm -hmm. website? Um, SonomaWater.org. Now, there's a lot of uh, exciting work being done kind of mm -hmm. in the, the water sector, Well, whether yeah. it's desalinization, mm -hmm. uh, conservation storage yeah. capture yeah so what are some of the the more innovative cutting edge projects that are exciting you that hold a lot of promise to shifting yeah. the paradigm about how humans interact with water yeah as as you're probably aware california is a large state geographically there are a number of different climates depending on where you live um, and i use that as a framework to start our discussion because depending on where you live your, your access to water and your water supply strategy is going to be different. Um, so, so for us here in the North Bay, something like desalination isn't feasible and it isn't necessary. If you live in Southern California where your water is piped from 300 plus miles away uh, and that source water um, can vary drastically by, by you know, large environmental conditions like yeah. climate change and drought, um, desalination is very much in the cards. So um, big picture, it is um, a beneficial tool. Um, for us locally, the, the way that I like to describe it for folks is that as a water supplier, you want to have as many tools in your tool belt as needed. So um, for us, there have been a, major movements in recycled water. So Recycled water is water that is treated at a wastewater treatment plant and that can be used to a tertiary level, so to, to a very high level, and it can be used in most cases for everything except for drinking. And so the movement to bring places like golf courses and, and parks and outdoor irrigation to use recycled water takes the strain off of our potable water supply. So that has been a great movement. Um, we are also... So that is something that a lot of the cities, because as a water wholesaler, we sell water to cities. So a lot of the local cities um, have done a great job in investing in recycled water. And then for us managing small wastewater plants, we have, we have done the same thing. Um, the other big key for us is um, learning about groundwater. So there has been a movement, and this is not something that is specific to Sonoma County, but in 2014, the state um, passed the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. So basically, um, to, to just summarize it really quickly, there are about 127 basins in California that were designated. Basins are um, where water is stored in the ground, aquifers that mm -hmm. are contained, um, that were designated as either medium or high, at medium or high risk of not being sustainable. 
And so in Sonoma County, there are three basins, and now they've added a couple more, um, but there are three large basins in Sonoma Valley, in Petaluma, and in the Santa Rosa Plain that were designated as medium risk of not being sustainable. And so when I'm talking about long-term water supply issues, understanding water in the ground as a tool in your tool belt is extremely important. Um, our drinking water that we provide to 600,000 people it, it comes from an aquifer. It's a small aquifer next to the Russian River, um, but it is a contained aquifer. So we use the river to recharge it. But for a lot of other places in the state, like in the Central Valley, um, groundwater management is extremely important. Mm. Um, so, and then I just have one more that I want to mention yeah. as, we're, as we're talking about water supply, major issues. You know, so you have recycled water and you have groundwater. We are at the forefront of understanding really how climate change is impacting our water supply system. And, and to dive into that more, because you know, here we are at my program at the basic level is teaching kids to use science to inform their decisions. That's what we're trying to do as adults as securing our water supply system. And so we've worked on this program, it's called Forecast Informed Reservoir Operation. And so one of our challenges with um, our reservoirs. We have two main reservoirs in our area, Lake Sonoma, which mm -hmm. is uh, northwest of Healdsburg, and Lake Sonoma, which is, or sorry, and Lake Mendocino, which is just east of Ukiah. Those are our two main water supply reservoirs. And how our water supply system is set up is given our Mediterranean climate, those reservoirs fill up when it rains in the winter, and then we can release water from those reservoirs um, all year round so we have a consistent water supply. Lake Sonoma is a large reservoir. Um, it has a great watershed that drains into it. And um, because it's larger, it can, it can hold water for um, a couple of years, even into drought conditions and not be a concern. Lake Mendocino, on the other hand, is more challenging. It's a smaller reservoir. Um, and the decisions to um, how much water is stored and released from those reservoirs are co-managed between Sonoma Water mm -hmm. and the Army Corps of Engineers. So our responsibility with the reservoirs is for water supply. When those reservoirs get above 100% full, then the Army Corps of Engineers controls how much water is released for flood control reasons. Because these reservoirs serve as flood control and also as water supply reservoirs. Right. So circling back to our forecast-informed reservoir operation, the method that the Army Corps uses to control how much water is released from Lake Mendocino was set up in the 1950s. And it was basically based on um, set dates and numbers. So in the winter, when the reservoir was at a certain level, any water above that level was released for flood control um, concerns. What we're trying to push with forecast-informed reservoir operation, and not push, we're actually implementing this at Lake Mendocino, is to look out at the weather forecast to determine if we have rain coming in right. and whether or not we should release water from this reservoir. So just using science to inform our decision-making has allowed us, especially in the drought in um, 2013 to 2016, to save um, thousands of acre feet of water in that reservoir. So that's something that, they're, the, that we're working on um, at Lake Mendocino that's now being modeled um, throughout the West Coast um, to improve forecast, to improve reservoir operations up and down the West Coast. So really, really innovative stuff, which yeah. is pretty fun.
Up to this point, we've been mainly focusing on water as a utility, but I'd be remiss if we ignored the more playful aspects of H2O. And so if we just take uh, water as a place to recreate, how can we encourage responsible usage? I just hope the people like myself and yourself would inspire others to to keep these areas pristine, to not pollute, to, I mean, just encourage uh, sharing these wonderful places, whether that's the river, the ocean, uh, wetlands. I mean, having, having areas for these recreational uses is a really uh, important thing that so many people enjoy. As you said, I'm a big rafter, so I donate to American Whitewater Association. They're really big in uh, helping steward recreation in, in rivers. They negotiate releases with the dams and PG&E so people can recreate in parts of rivers that aren't normally accessible. There's not enough water. Uh, they do things for river cleanup. They, they're just a, a, an advocate for uh, rivers and, and recreation. So mm -hmm. protecting that and legislation as business wants to come in and shut down areas for private enterprise, they are the stewards to try and protect and facilitate recreation, which I, I think is a great thing. We're about to wrap, but I couldn't let these two go without getting their last words and calls to action. One of the challenges I feel in our society is the only people who get involved are those with a vested interest, a special interest, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the more that, you know, the folks that are living their everyday lives um, come out and get not just with our public meetings at Sonoma Water, but but with with a lot of different um, uh, government outreach programs, you can learn about what's happening. It's, it's been pretty amazing, you know, in the aftermath of the fire, seeing the public support and involvement that's taken place. You know, you have to look for the silver lining in something like that. Yeah. And I have seen an incredible increase in public engagement. Um, and I just want to encourage folks to continue doing that. Vote, learn about what's going on, um, and, and, and together we can all, all, all make this world a better place. We know the worth of water when the well runs dry don't know what you have until it's gone and so i think everybody trying to make an effort to conserve what we have and, and protect that i think is a, is a good thing i need to start this episode with the water boy clip because let's face it water's a serious issue talk to the folks in flint michigan talk to the people in the midwestern states who can light their water on fire Talk to farmers throughout California's Central Valley or villagers and city dwellers throughout India. Luckily, we have the skills, the knowledge, and the ability to create a more sustainable and healthy relationship with water. But it's up to us to be more conscious about how we use, abuse, maintain, contaminate, sequester, and distribute water. Water is the great unifier. We all need it by the gallon. So let's listen to Tyler's words, let's listen to Ryan's words, and become more conscious about protecting our waterways. You can learn more about Ryan and his agency at sonomawater.org, and check out Tyler's operation at weeksdrilling.com. That's W-E-E-K-S drilling.com. A big thanks to my buddy Jay Lately for providing the music and the sponsorship of the Onward podcast. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist out of Oakland who dedicates his time to 
enriching the lives of youth in Oakland and around the states through his music, through his words, and through his poetry. Interested in sponsoring the podcast yourself? Get at me, dweinsveg at gmail.com. That's D-W-E-I-N-Z-V-E-G. And last but certainly not least, a huge thanks to all my listeners, all my followers, and all my supporters. Make sure to subscribe to Onward at soundcloud.com backslash onward. Find us at the iTunes podcast store or Anchor FM. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review, a little words, a few stars go a long way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Onward. Until next time, Onward and Upward. <laughs>